Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode eight, where we revisit and rank Live and Let Die. After meeting up with the CIA agent Rosie, Bond and Rosie head off to investigate where the MI6 agent was killed. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Live and Let Die to our rankings. So the next morning, Bond goes out uh, onto like the balcony section uh, for some breakfast at the hotel. And we just need to say this right now. What on earth is he wearing? <laughs> you must have you must have questioned his outfit. Oh, choice yeah. Oh, yeah. Like this is supposed to be what the the hot weather Bond casual wear. Yep. It's it's like this baby blue. <laughs> oh, it's wearing like a white vest underneath and this like baby blue outfit on top. Really it's like, kind of, is it denim? It, I think so. It looks like denim, but I wasn't. It doesn't look like jeans or anything because, like you say, it's baby blue top jacket thing over a vest, and then baby blue matching. Again, I, I don't think they're jeans, but it, it has a denim feel. Yeah, it's it's not Bond's best look, and I just don't. I think they were still kind of finding their feet with with Roger Moore's wardrobe as Bond, and this this was a miss. You know, he he can put off the nice um, long blue fluffy coats and and the gloves this not so much um but anyway he has a little bit of breakfast and uh grabs on the napkins and a tarot card falls out i actually can't remember what the card was oh like, i didn't write that down i should have like yeah like yeah so you know the fool or the lovers or something one of those ones it falls out but you know basically the idea being that they are being watched still um and yeah that's it he, he grabs well he tells rosie to get ready and they head off into town to go find a boat there is a quick scene of bond nipping into uh, a tarot card shop though which at first i didn't really pay much attention to but later on in the film you realize what is actually doing in this scene which um i'm kind of glad that they they at least went to the effort of showing how we got the thing that he uses later on uh, from this shop um but yeah they head to the harbor area and uh, hire a boat out Oh, I say hire a boat out, but I mean, they, they go to find not just anyone, it's Quarrel, or Quarrel Jr. So, Quarrel Jr. There you go, the connection, stronger than ever, we're getting Quarrel's son, who is also a, a fisherman boat man. What's the, what's the right term? No, a fisherman boat man, I think Fish, fisher, Fisherman boat man, yes. Um, and yeah, he's there with his boat to take them to... I, I don't know where they're going. They're, they're going. All oh, right, they're going to where the, the agent died, of course. Yeah, because that's what Rose is meant to be pointing them towards. Um, so, yeah, they head off on the boat. Bond is there doing a bit of fishing off the side of it, still in his lovely baby blue outfit. Mm. Um, and Rosie, yeah, Rosie asks if she can go get changed somewhere. Um, so she goes down into the lower part of the boat, and whilst under there. Well, for starters, whilst under there, did you notice that like there's just straight up nudity on the wall in this scene? I guess it wasn't visible in the lower definitions, but in in Blu-ray you can quite clearly see uh, some stuff pinned to the wall, which I thought was quite funny for being a PG film. Oh, I um, didn't see that, but yeah, next it's time. just it's just right there. But yeah, uh, she she puts put something on a hook, which reveals this uh, little section with uh, some gadgets and a gun and stuff like that. So she's suspicious immediately of um being in a bad spot so she heads up points a gun at quarrel thinking that he's a bad guy and then they just they they just obviously treat her like she's an idiot and 
and um, reveal that you know, it's Coral Jr. and they know him and all this sort of stuff. It's just, I really, Rosie annoys me as a character, but I also feel kind of bad for her. Like, she's quite a sad character because uh, she's just so pathetic. <laughs> like, no one treats her with any sort of respect. As uh, laughing at her and you know, like they're their darling, patting her sort of thing. More and more darlings. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't really get much time to have any sort of character in this film, but the, the characterization she does have really just sad. I don't know about you. I just really thought it was quite a sad and depressing character. Ultimately, it just should have been cut. It's just another thing in the film. Like this character just didn't need to exist. Like Bond could have found out some other way and could have got to the island himself and just explored, but like it, she's so tossed aside. But yeah, I, I guess you're meant to laugh at this stuff. But yeah, having Bond be like, as I was saying, she's a useless agent who doesn't even have the safety catch off the gun. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I, I, am I meant to laugh at that? Like, I don't, just don't have her in the film. Then <laughs> get rid of her. So she points out where where to go to they, they spot this house on on the hill and and uh apparently that's where kananga's women live up in this uh up in the mountains but yeah she points out where they need to go to go find out where the agent died and yeah i guess we got to say with quarrel another doctor no reference let's let's get that written down and my understanding of this is that because live and let die was the second book and doctor no was the sixth book Quarrel was in both books as the same character, but because in the books he dies in Doctor No, and in Live and Let Die, which the films haven't done yet, he's obviously still alive and it's just an alley of Bond, they kind of needed to bring him back, but give an explanation to why he's not dead. So just like, it's Quarrel Jr. Yeah, it doesn't fixed. really make much sense, but you just go with it, I suppose. No, like, it's nice that they say that, but like... I mean, just the sum of this character, he's so whatever. Like, he's just the guy that helps Bond, and that's it. So it's kind of a shame that they associate Quarrel with it, where Quarrel had a little bit more of a personality and kind of was on a, along for the ride a bit. But Quarrel, the fact that Felix is in this film and stuff, like, Quarrel's just there. It's, yeah. it's a nice callback, but kind of a pointless one. Yeah, he doesn't have very many lines at all. <laughs> but this leads to Solitaire giving a reading. And basically she's, I believe, on the phone to, to Kananga and giving him all the latest, basically reading the future and reading what's going on. And at some point during this, he oh, she pulls the lover's card and gets all like, oh, the lover's card. And she lies to Kananga by saying it's death. Or basically he's like, is it the death card? And she says, yes. So basically just lied to the guy about what's going to happen. And yeah, and then this goes for like she I think Kananga then mentions Rosie. So it's kind of said here that Rosie is actually working for him and is leading Bond into a trap and Kananga is just like no bodies, no uh no trace or anything like that. So he's just saying like, yeah, kill Bond off, get rid of him, and we find out that Rosie's kind of in on all this and actually leading Bond to Kananga's men to be killed. Yeah, yeah. It says like, well, Rose is being more efficient than I, I thought. Which is, which I guess, maybe you could give her a little bit of a break there because she's, well, no, that's not true. She, I was gonna say maybe she's acting up, being dumb, but 
actually later on when all, when all is revealed she's still like that so no never mind i take that back sorry rosie <laughs> <laughs> sorry you you are still dumb don't worry yeah 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 so after solitaire and kananga on the phone it cuts back to bond and rosie who are now on the island um driving um and having you know, given we've just found out that rosie is actually working for kananga uh, we sort of see Bond start to suspect this because she's giving wrong, uh, kind of conflicting information about where uh, the agent died previously. So at one point she says it's up on the hills, but then she says, oh, actually, no, we need to go this way, down this path. So, um, yeah, Bond starts to think something's off. So instead he says, let's go for a picnic. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> who needs who needs to investigate and do our job? Let's just go for a nice little picnic. Um, so, yeah, they, they end up in this little spot. Um, they sleep together and then this is where it all kind of come you know it all comes out that you know he he realizes that something is off so he pulls a gun on Rosie and and threatens threatens her you know tell tell me what's going on and she's saying that if she does then she's going to be killed by Kananga so this is where I'm saying like it's just ultimately a very sad character because you can see there's the conflict going on i think there there could have been something quite good in this in this situation of of you know, that Bond girl working for both sides and and trying to work out what to do. But um, that doesn't really happen because instead she just runs off. So <laughs> she doesn't tell Bond anything, really. Um, she just runs off into the, into the trees, uh, into the forest, where all of these kind of uh, voodoo skull head things are littered around. Um, yeah, I went with coconut scarecrows. Coconut scarecrows, yeah, I like that. Yeah, there's those all around. Um, Bond chases her for a bit, but then she just very quickly gets shot by one of these coconut scarecrows that has a gun coming out of its mouth, and that's it. She's gone. Yeah, that's, that is it, right? Like yeah, we never hear about her again. She's dead. How <laughs> the rest of the film can continue? Yeah, so it's a very, very, very big waste—a waste of something that could have been maybe interesting. So I think you were right in saying that should have just been cut altogether. But we do get the first look at the coconut scarecrows, which I do. On a positive note, I do really like. So this whole <laughs> island is just littered with these things, and they're they're kind of creepy, also kind of silly. But for me, that they kind of walk that line quite nicely of being silly, but also a little bit unsettling at the same time. I mean, it is nonsense that one of them has like there's cam. The one that shoots Rosie has cameras, mm. but rather than just having one camera as you would, it has two cameras to represent its eyes. <laughs> which is so unnecessary like what is supposed to be happening there it's a camera you don't need two of them but no they wanted to show it's got eyes so they give it to so yeah again for me like just the right balance of silly but also being a little bit off-putting i love how yeah this scene rosie she dies and you're like yeah but how about those scarecrows (laughs) what's going on with those scarecrows guys (laughs) well they have more significance to the plot than rosie did that's actually very true yeah and because Rosie has been killed, or they decide to kill Rosie, because I think they find out Bond knows, or she's failed, so they say, let's let's get rid of her. And we cut to Kananga asking Solitaire, God, these names are nonsense, uh, what, what happened? What went wrong? You said this was all going to go down, this was all going to be fine, and the trap was set. And she tries to cover for herself by saying the death card must have meant the death of the girl, death of Rosie, rather than the death of Bond. And then we get kind of a little bit of a hint of what's going on here, where it's like, your mother used to have the power and worked for me, but now 
she's gone and lost the power and you work for for me instead um and i guess it's a good time to talk about kananga overall and we have actually seen him a decent amount in this film we do get a decent amount of scenes for this maybe not as much as like goldfinger but we do see him a lot and i really really like him on screen and the way he talks he's very calm and collected when he talks but just you get that hint of he's a bit crazy and he's a little bit unsettled Mm. but he's clearly kind of like a smart man with the way he has his operation and stuff and and everything he's kind of thinking about but throughout all these scenes there's kind of like yeah like there is this kind of conflict which we find out what's going on there but yeah he's like calm and cool but it, it feels like he might pop and sometimes like during this one he does get quite threatening but he's mostly quite soft-spoken and you know we've had villains who are kind of more soft-spoken and quieter but he kind of does his own version and i was kind of surprised how much i liked kanango as a villain in this film by the time i got to the end of it yeah yeah the sad thing is so one of the reasons why i put this as number four of my my worst bond films is because i know what eventually happens to this character in the ending and I, i always kind of just brushed it aside because of that but watching this now, I'm, I agree. I think he is actually a, a quite a good villain. And I think they do toe that line of having, you know, he's not this maniacal, uh, crazy, crazy man. Uh, but he's also not, they could go then the other way and have that quiet character that is kind of like creepily quiet. Almost, you know, how like um, the uh, Blofeld was talking in You Only Live Twice sort of thing. Like, like kind of like too far into subdued. Whereas I think this is just right in that, you know, he he's, he's he speaks normally. He's not he's not putting on this crazy voice like, oh, I'm a villain sort of thing. Oh, he he speaks normally, but it is still that kind of very soft spoken, hushed tone, which then does make when he does burst more effective in comparison. Um, I I do I wish that there was more of him um, in the film, uh, and especially at the end, I wish there was more of him. But for for someone that's not got like a big it's not got like anything really obvious in terms of visually you know he's not got like a trope in that regard it's just a guy it's just a drug smuggler right so or a drug trafficker so with that being said i think actually really quite a good character yeah he just leaves an impression and that's kind of what you need with this and it's just interesting to see the bond franchise still able to take the soft-spoken evil person with plans and still mix it up a bit and still kind of show a different kind of interpretation of that. So, yeah, I was really surprised. I don't know where I would say in terms of Bond villains overall, but I was like, this guy's great. And i that's weird. I didn't think he would be. I, I expected him to be bad. Mm. Uh, after that scene with Kananga and Solitaire, we then go back to Bond, who is still around the island. But we straight away cut to him in this hang glider. Uh, which is another silly scene of Bond not being very self-aware where he's in this thing flying around, but has like a cigar. Just chilling. <laughs> just, yeah, just chilling. Just casually, just on this hang glider, just taking around and, and things like that. Uh, but we also do continue a little bit with Kanaka where he, he has a really great line here, which is again that bubbling below the surface anger, but still being quite calm where he's like, he says, you've made me angry with, with you and I have no wish to be, which is just like, oh, 
the way oh, he then he storms it. off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then he storms off. So you get that little bit of anger there. But Bond then signals to the boat or to quarrel down below to detach this hang glider. And using that, he then glides onto the island. Is this a different island to the one he was on before with Rosie? I don't know, is the answer. <laughs> I assumed no, but they don't really establish these islands super well. I assumed it all took place on one island, but then, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess he's meant to have left and come back, but it, it's not clear. Yeah. And he hangs on and is slowly coming down uh, on his hang glider. And you see a guy standing guard with a gun. So Bond comes up behind him and gives him a little kick and kicks him off the cliff. So nimble, even hang gliding. Yeah, and he keeps going. He doesn't land. He just keeps <laughs> flying. Yeah. And this then, after that, just I think straight away cuts to Bond in the chair, in Solitaire's chair. Wearing the robe and things like that with the the tarot cards. Well, he he lands and he has he has like reversible clothes. I don't know if you spotted that. Like he takes off his jacket and then turns it inside out, and it's now oh. like that nice beige one. It's like always prepared. Yeah, he knows. He knows He's done he this wants. before. Yeah. So yeah, he's messing around with the cards, and she free- she shows up. Solitaire shows up and starts freaking out, saying it's blasphemy and things like that, and. He then goes into the angle of like, well, the cards are saying we're going to be lovers, you know, and that's what's going to happen. And uh, she's like, no, that's impossible. But uh, she's like, we just get this conflicted thing where Bond's creepily sitting there like, yeah, we're going to bang. And she's just having this like internal <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> but the cards, oh, what are oh the cards, no, but surely. And then Bond says, OK, pick another card, reveals this deck. And she picks the card and gets a lover card. And at that point, we get some kind of romantic sort of music playing with elements of the live and let die theme. And she's horrified. <laughs> she's like absolutely horrified. Mm. Uh, but we see that Bond has got his own deck of cards and every single one in that deck was the lover card. So no matter which one she picked, this was always going to happen. And he basically tricked her into into sleeping with him. Yeah, yeah. I I I do like I do like bits of the scene. I like Bond. Like you say, that cut to Bond where he's just messing around with the cars and he's got the robe thing on. I just think that's quite a, a nice little. I just think the image of him like going in there and setting up for that for her to walk in. I just think that's quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it, it's it's. This is like where that whole element of what I was talking about earlier between him and Solitaire and and the manipulation and it's like, well, it, if he's an agent doing a job, he needs to be getting more information about Kananga. So I, I understand that's why he's going down this avenue, but it still feels really off um, the way they do it. And because I, I, I like the idea of the whole voodoo and the cards and... Uh, the cards are dictating this, so this must be what happens. Like, we don't really get supernatural stuff in Bond um, ever, right? This is like one of the very few exceptions of this sort of thing. So I like that, but I just think what it leads to with Solitaire and having this power, which is, we find out, linked to her virginity, it just feels odd. And, and I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't like... I think it could have been done without this, to be honest with you. 
they just spend so much time on it. Like, we we got quite a long scene here with this one and the next one, and I think we should probably get through it quite quick because it's just kind of uncomfortable and odd where we just get a lot of stuff of her being, like, horrified and miserable. Yeah. Because then it cuts to that they do sleep together and they're both just in bed and she's like, it's finally happened. My whole life has been ruined. And Roger Moore's like, cheer up, darling. It's like... Everyone has their first time, darling. And apparently, like, so apparently the virginity is tied to her power. So whenever these, you know, there's like this lineage of women, because they talk about her grandparents and stuff, which also makes it creepy talking about her mum and stuff. I think also gives another angle of her being young. Um, But yeah, it turns out that whenever they lose their virginity, then they lose the power to see the future. Yeah. So bond's just there again this is where it kind of goes against roger moore and bond where he's just not reacting to anything because it's like this is kind of uncomfortable like you just slept with her now she's lost the power and freaking out and they do kind of give an explanation of where like he does confess like oh i rigged the deck but she says it doesn't matter like whatever card is drawn that's what kind of needs to happen so it doesn't matter if it's rigged apparently or stacked in his favor yeah uh, yeah, but yeah, the... this is all just so, like you say, like I didn't get too creepy vibes earlier, but this is just so uncomfortable. And they just spent ages talking about this woman's virginity and Roger Moore just there, stone-faced. Just like, rolling his eyes. <laughs> he just yeah, doesn't it's care. Just, oh, it's just it's just too much. And I didn't enjoy this storyline. No, they, 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 they do this whole thing as well about all oh, lovers' lessons. And I, I can't really remember the exact like dialogue that leads into it, but they end up sleeping together again as well. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't get the end of that scene because, again, she is horrified and maybe some of this is the actress and stuff because I do think she's terrible. But yeah, then we're supposed to buy that they sleep together again. So I guess the filmmakers saw this as just being like another Bond girl and she's kind of treated that way. But like the storyline doesn't match that at all. It's like literally she lost her virginity to Bond in a film. And I think Bond taking someone's virginity is just kind of gross with what he's supposed to be about. Yep, I agree. But this ends on him saying, ah, no sense going up half-cocked. And then they sleep together again. Forgot about, I forgot that line, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Very clever, Bond. Mm, That's very one. good. Maybe that was the one I didn't like. I liked most of these, but I think that would probably be the my least favourite one due to the context. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but now basically there's somewhat a couple. Like, she's worried about being killed, but she's kind of going along with Bond on this and they're going to go and find K- uh, Kananga and we we actually get a slower version of the Bond theme or you know I think we've heard this before but we get a little bit more of the Bond theme here and basically they're following the scarecrows where we saw these scarecrows before but this time they're going to follow them to try and find where Kananga is basically and it's here where we see a man with a flute uh, which just is kind of there and they kind of just walk by but it oh no it's the baron it's the he's laughing back. man he's back from the dead kind of and he like it is a flute by the way isn't it yeah yeah a flute light instrument and then he like un like opens it up and it turns <laughs> out it's a radio <laughs> it's got a little antenna and everything <laughs> yeah i don't know how it worked as a flute and it's also a radio i don't think that makes any sense 
Uh, but yeah, he he reports it in and says it's going to be a, a beautiful day or something like that. And uh, yeah, this is where Kananga then says, uh, if you find, I think if you find Bond, kill him, but we need her alive. Yeah. Yeah. So then Bond is, uh, yeah, following the Scarecrows and then cuts into a field which is covered with nets. And I completely missed this plot point at this point where the whole idea is that this is all about drug smuggling and what he is in is in a poppy field which they are growing for heroin, basically. Like, he is dealing in heroin and this poppy field is that. I didn't pick up on that. I was just like, this is an odd field with Mm. a lot of nets. Yeah. Uh, Because I don't think he explicitly says, oh, this is a poppy field, it must be heroin. I think that line's not in there or I just missed it. No, I don't think it is. I think it's only later on you... you find out about the, the whole field and, and the plan um I, I was the same i was like what, what's the fields all about and then before that before i had time to think then they, they start getting shot at by a helicopter so yeah yeah i think you are supposed to recognize it though or at least recognize some sort of drug thing maybe not a poppy field but something like i think you're supposed to be they he is growing something on this island but to me i was just like oh, i was just shady you just want a bit of shade right with those nets yeah, and he just wants some peace and quiet right from the rest of the, the, the island. That's why he's put the scarecrows up. That's, yeah, nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. Nothing to hide. No, nothing no, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, as you say, a helicopter then shows up and just starts shooting at them, only to then like instantly lose them because they're hiding underneath the nets. So I, I don't quite get the point in the helicopter. Because <laughs> it's so, it's so... This doesn't lead to a chase. This is just a helicopter comes, shoots at them a bit, they hide, and the helicopter's like, whatever, and gives up. Kananga then just says, we need to kill Bond. And then we cut away from this whole scene. That's true, yeah, because the next scene is like in, the, in a town or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually... I In my head, I was like, oh, well, the helicopter must do like connect the scene somehow. But no, it doesn't. It just flies off. But it's another one where it's like, not an action scene or anything, but it's like the hints at it that they drop in there. But normally, if it was an older Bond film, you would get a helicopter chase scene, similar to from Russia with Love or something. But no, it's just a helicopter that shoots a Bond and they get away. Well done. Now, now that's a half-cocked scene right there. Hey! Oh, it's just a load of poppy cock. Oh, oh. poppy half-cock. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get... We're lucky we don't monetize these because... <laughs> We're seeing guys in your stats. You've said the <laughs> said a certain c word a lot of times. The kitty winks aren't gonna aren't gonna like that. Oh, it's fine. We'll um, we'll just censor it. We'll beep it. Mm. <laughs> Could you imagine we just start having these podcasts full of like censoring? Like, what on earth are we saying? That'd be horrible. That'd be terrible. So as we say, the helicopter just flies off, and the, the scene moves on, and um, Bond and Solitaire are in sort of like little town village area. Kananga's already told all of his connections to, you know, get rid of Bond, but make sure the girl stays alive. So we see uh, people keeping an eye on them, like some police on, on some bikes, and I think there were some police in some cars as well. So they, they're, they're being watched, they're being trailed. Uh, so what they do instead is they hop on a bus. There's just this empty bus in town um, where Solitaire sits, goes and sits at the back, and Bond sneaks up to the front and and starts to drive off, and we get a a, a bus chase with uh, with the bus and, and all the police cars and stuff following behind it. I really don't have much to say about this police chase because I found it incredibly dull, and that's oh, for no. two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, um, 
there is no music for a long time. The music does eventually kick in, but for like half of this this uh, chase scene, it's just the sounds of like the motors of the engines, um, which you know kind of worked maybe for Diamonds Are Forever, where it was the humor element of the sound of the, like the revving engines and then the moon buggy. This is just, it's not that. It's not got anything like that. It's just sounds of vehicles and its it makes it feel incredibly slow. Like you realize how much you need music to, to pick up a, a, an action scene sometimes. And this is one of them. But also, uh, the second reason why I don't really like this, this chase scene, and it's sort of, this happens a lot throughout the film in general, is the the enemies, you know, the police in this case, they just take themselves out so stupidly. There's no... There's no interesting ways that Bond gets out of situations or anything in this bus. They they just drive off ramps or they just they just bang into things. It's like there's nothing creative about how they like choreograph this this action scene. The most interesting thing is that, and this is where the music I think starts playing, is that Bond in the bus, Bond and Solitaire in the bus, they realize there's a bridge coming up and it's like a low bridge. So he just plows on through it and chops off the top half of the bus. Um, which I think that like lands on one of the police cars and they drive into some water. But apart from that, like nothing really happens too much in this scene. At the end, they just get away and get back onto the boat with Coral. It's 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 just a bit lame. Uh, I, I felt a bit more positive about it, um, which is interesting because I was moaning about the exact same thing about people taking each other out or taking themselves out so easily and that being lame uh, in Diamonds Are Forever. And now, as you say, we're in the next film and the same thing does happen. And it is a trope I don't really like at all. But Mm. I think for me, what saves it is I like the visual of this old blue bus driving and going really quick. And that moment of the bridge is I really do like it. It is really cool to see Bond just seeing this bridge. And I think they're all like, ah, we got him just to have it completely taken off and then perfectly land on the car. I, I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, but you're right there's no real sense of chase here but I think the for me the visual of Bond driving this bus and having that bus get kind of like chopped in half and then he still kind of keeps on driving it was enough for me to say like I like it and compared to some other films in the or other chases in the rest of the film this one's at least a lot shorter and to the point where you just get the cars chasing they crash Bond then goes under the bridge and then eventually gets away so it, it didn't overstay its welcome for me um, and I think the bus visually was enough that I would overall say I liked it. I enjoyed it. Okay, yeah, fair enough. But like you say, they get to the, the dock and just leave. And then Kananga hears the news. And all right, let me try and, and put this all together. Because this is when I think Bond says, oh, it's poppy filled. So it's all like heroin smuggling. And yeah. Bond is with Solitaire and hugging and she's all worried about being killed. And Bond says, I'll tell Felix what's going on because all it is is heroin smuggling, so nothing to do with me, but we can we can go anywhere, me and you. We can go anywhere together and Felix will go and, and take care of this. So Bond arranges Quarrel to contact Felix for them to kind of meet in New Orleans. So we've now done New York from the opening scene. We've now done a little bit on uh, San Monique. And now we're going to to New Orleans afterwards. We are actually going to all three of the places we saw in the intro, which I think I mentioned this at the time, but I think that's really cool. 
I think that's a really cool way of, of doing it. Um, I don't know if yeah. it, I don't know what the reason is for it being New Orleans. I think they're just close. But yeah, that is the plan for Bond to meet up with Felix and completely hand over the case. It is funny though, because I'm not wrong in thinking that New Orleans was the one in Thunderball as well, right? Oh. Don't they, don't they have the big. It's like Mardi Gras. They're the same. I thought was that, that was at the Bahamas, though, like on the island. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. No, it must have been. I think I'm just like associating that because it was very Mardi Gras esque. Yeah, no, that wasn't New Orleans. Never mind. Something I will say, though, more negative about it. I am so sick of America in these films. Like, <laughs> There's been a lot, yeah. Like, yeah, New Orleans is a little bit more unique and different. You know, it is a unique city, and I do appreciate that. But wow, they love going to America, and I'm really sick of it. <laughs> so I hope the next few films avoid America, but I am not as interested in America as these producers and writers seem to be. Like, this is our third one now, like, second in a row, but where they're just obsessed with America, and I'm just not that impressed. I don't dislike America, but I think there are so many better locations, and Bond just keeps going back to America. So uh, I hope we kind of move away from this soon, because, you know, New Orleans is unique, sure, but we've already done the island setter with, say, with me now, Dr. No, (laughs) and also Mm -hmm. Fundable, and New York isn't all that interesting, or not how they use it anyway. So I just... Yeah, just done with America, but it's one more film, yeah. and hopefully we, we calm down with that soon. I, I'm thinking ahead. I think at least the next one's going to be a bit different, but you're right. I mean, I, I like the the New Orleans city bit and, and getting those elements of like the marching band we saw earlier on and that that cultural aspect of it. But then we do eventually end up in like the, the bayous, and that's just flat water, right? Like, I guess I guess it's good to have it at least once, but... Not the most interesting visually. Yeah, they just need to mix it up. And yes, you know, I'll give them Vegas. I wasn't that impressed by it, but that is very different visually. But like, we have gone to so many states now in America. Like, let's do something else. Yeah. But we instantly cut to Bond and Solitaire being in New Orleans at the airport. And they get into the taxi and, you know, I think asked to go somewhere. And the door's locked. And it's the taxi driver from before in New York. Hey, he's back. Yeah, he's all like starts calling him like Jim all the time as well, which was quite <laughs> funny to hear someone called James Bond Jim. Jimmy Bond, yeah. Hey Jim, Mr. B wants Yeah, like he starts saying like about how Mr. B wants to see him, uh Mr. Big, basically. Uh and have kidnapped him, pretty much. And at this point, Bond has been kidnapped and they don't actually leave the airport at all. Uh, they go to put Bond in a plane. And at this point, then, Solitaire hits him with the bag. I didn't understand this. Yeah, she just instantly kind of turns on him. Because basically, they're about going to put him on a plane and they're like, you're going skydiving. But Solitaire hits him with the bag, which is when he then like blocks that and is able to kind of get away. But I don't know if Solitaire was just going along with it but we did never got any hints that that was the case. No, I suppose you could argue that she's saving face in in front of Mr. Big and, and his goons, but it it does come out of nowhere. I was I did wonder had I missed something there, or is she betraying Bond now? But yeah, I don't I don't think she is. It's just just kind of clumsily handled. I think the main reason for it is to give Bond an excuse to be able to run off. Like she triggers the commotion that allows him to get away. 
where none of those were probably going to attack. Or if he just like punched someone in the face, it kind of wouldn't have worked. I think mm. it might just be lazy writing all around. Yeah. But Bond is still in the airport and finds a plane and gets into the plane and there's just an old woman in there who we find out is called <laughs> Mrs. Bell. Mrs. Bell. Mrs. Bell. And she's like, you're not my instructor. At which he's like, oh, I'm taking over. I'll be giving the lesson today. And starts driving this plane, this quite small red red and white plane, I think, just starts driving it around the airport. He doesn't take off. No. He's basically just driving around and all the other guys who hadn't catched it before get into cars and start following him. So I, I assume you're a big Mrs. Bell fan. No, not really. No, no, you're not a fan of the Mrs. Bell. <laughs> nah, she, she doesn't do it for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> what, what's gone wrong? Um, I guess she's just not really in it very much. But also, when you're in when you're in a film with J.W. Pepper, you're going to get overshadowed a lot. Yeah, so, yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, so she is purely a joke character, basically. Like the idea that Bond is in this plane driving around trying to escape and she's just there kind of going along with it and not really knowing what's going on, which I didn't mind her, you know. I think going yeah. by the last review, you might think she was quite great or I didn't like her. But honestly, I, I think it's so clearly like a comedy scene and I think the setup of Bond driving this plane around. And, you know, she doesn't really speak that much, really. It's kind of lines here and there. I feel like she never really kind of distracts too much from the scene and with how silly this kind of setup is it, it does kind of work for me yeah yeah i definitely like the the premise of the scene i'm gonna kind of sound like a broken record again because i think it has the same problems of the scene we just had with the bus in that i don't really think much happens and all the all the enemies take themselves out really stupidly um so i think mrs bell was a saving grace of it to be honest with you and Mrs. Bell gets the first swear of the entire franchise as well. Oh, right. Yeah, as the doors are closing. Yeah, she goes. She yeah. just, like, says holy S-word, basically. Yeah. Like, not trying to hide it. I'm like, wow, that's... Wow, okay, Mrs. Bell. Some mouth on you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that eventually causes the um, the wings of the plane that he's in to get clipped off. And... I, I guess it's it's kind of like the same thing with the bus, like the bus being destroyed in the funny way. It's the same thing with the plane. doesn't really lead to much. I think maybe just the visual element of it is meant to be interesting enough. Hmm. But some of the stuff I did like, yeah, I like that visual. You know, the he is kind of try, going forward and the doors are shutting and just seeing the pl- wings get ripped off. I think that's that kind of works on its own merits, really. And I did like the one shot where the car goes on the ramp and kind of scrapes along the side of the plane it's like you know they did that for real and it is cool to see like a car rip all the side of this plane up like it's something different like again i think the visuals of a lot of this stuff where it does feel quite unique and different and the fact they allowed themselves to go a bit silly i think they do a good job of taking advantage of that to give us something a bit different sure it's nonsense but i think i can just still enjoy the fact like oh yeah they ripped the this plane has been completely destroyed and the wings are ripped off. And that guy just like went on this ramp. And I think I can, I can appreciate it for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's better than the bus one, but I still don't think it's great for me personally. Hmm. And this all ends with the instructor seeing this 
And I, I want to say Bond is all like, same time tomorrow, Mrs. Bell. And Oh, that sounds like him. That sounds like Roger. Yeah, and then after that, he escapes, I guess. I don't, can't remember exactly how that plays out, but yeah, he gets away and, and then runs off. So that scene then leads on to bond with felix uh and you actually the scene starts with felix on the phone to that that uh instructor you can hear him like swearing or cursing through the phone and felix trying to sort him out all, all meanwhile bond is getting like tailored in the background and picking out ties which is uh, like is that the best time to be doing this i don't know um but yeah they uh they're talking together and i think felix i don't know how they know to go to the Filet of Soul. How do they know to go to the Filet of Soul, which is where they end up going to? I believe Bond just kind of suggests it. Bond because, just suggests it. Yeah, okay. that's where he went before, and that's where Mr. Big was in New York. So I think he just suggests it based on the, the bad experience he had there. Right, okay. Uh, but before they do, we do see the scene um, of Strutter, Harold Strutter, who we saw before. He is it's basically a repeat of the, the scene we had in the pre-title sequence, where he's outside keeping an eye on Filet of Soul restaurant. Um, and yeah, the, the the band, the marching band comes around the corner again. Uh, the same guy comes up to him and again, stabs him. Like it's just an exact repeat. Everyone starts dancing again. That's the end of Strutter. Not really, uh, not really much to say about him, really. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about the character, but I really like the way they did this, where you're left to fit in a lot of the gaps where they don't actually show him being stabbed or anything like that. They simply show the parade coming round, and again, it's shot exactly the same as the intro. Not similar, mm. exactly the same framing and stuff. So you see the parade, and you see the CIA guy standing there, so you know what's coming. And then you see the creepy old man who loves stabbing stand next to him. And then it pretty much just cuts to them all singing and dancing. So you know what's happened because you saw the previous scene, but you don't have to see it. And that makes it like way more effective. I love this like little twist that they did here with this scene to have you fit in the gaps. And it makes it seem a little bit more grim. You know, obviously it's not great for the character to be just killed off screen like that. But I think for the film itself, I, I loved it. I thought it was a really smart way of doing it. Yeah, it definitely is smarter storytelling. Um which is not always what you see in Bond films. So that's, that was quite refreshing. Uh, but then you do eventually get Bond and Felix. They, they, I guess they just missed that completely. Um, they go into the Filet of Soul restaurant together, which is quite, it's quite nice to see Bond and Felix actually together doing stuff. Um, they're going in, and it's kind of the same vibe as Bond going into the one in New York, where it's like they're definitely out of their element. Uh, although I think, I think Felix is a little bit cooler than Bond. I mean, he's American, I guess. So... Um, yeah, they are taken to, well, they're about to be given a booth inside the restaurant, but Bond's like, no, I'm not fancying that, uh, given what happened before. So they instead get, he makes a joke actually. Does he? Is it a good joke? I once had a nasty turn in a booth. Mm, There you go. Uh, so instead they get a seat near the stage of, um, performance. And this is kind of weird, but there's like a singer on stage who's just singing the main the main song just singing them and that die just, oh yeah i didn't like this like if it wasn't part of the soundtrack so much but it's just so they must have been so bloody proud of this song they must have been so chuffed they got paul mccartney to write it because it's just it's just way too much like i don't this on itself is fine but combined with everything else just like oh i was just like i don't want to hear this 
And it just seems really out of place, especially because they focus on it so much. It's not like a Easter egg in the background. It's no. no, you have to see this woman singing this song at James Bond directly in this film. And it's like, yeah. no, I don't want to see that. Yeah, it's no whistling small man <laughs> like before, whistling Goldfinger. I, I just, in principle, I don't really like that, you know, taking the themes and, and using them in, in the film. I think I, I don't see the purpose of that. I like to have the themes be... Yeah, you know, it just it takes me out of the film a little bit, the suspension of disbelief. So there's just no need for it. Um and, and tied to the fact, as you say, we've just been hearing this so much in this film already. So uh Felix gets distracted. Apparently there's a phone call. They say that they've got he's got a phone call from Strutter. Uh well they'll give him what we just saw. See that's not true. Um and whilst he's away Whilst he's out of the scene, you think Bond is safe in this new seat, but no, it seems like every seat in this restaurant is rigged and booby trapped because <laughs> it it's like lowers down into the ground and pops back up empty and uh, like a waiter goes and puts some new glasses on there. But yeah, like you you can't trust any seat. It's, like, it's a little bit it's a little bit silly, but I do like it. Oh, um, yeah, so cool! Like it's the fact that everyone's just in on it, and just like before, they just instantly swap out the table and put down the drinks. Now, they do have a reason for it because Felix comes back and asks, like, hey, where's my friend? And the guy just doesn't give him an answer, I don't think, or something. Like, maybe he does, but a very non-committal one. But, yeah, the fact that this all just instantly happens, that this is all just so very efficient and fought out and everyone just knows what it is and no one's surprised. But apart from old Jim Bond here, which is like, oh, going down. Another one? <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, darling, what's happening? <laughs> it's just, dar- darling, anyone? Darling? <laughs> yeah, darling, please. Uh, yeah, I love I love these elements of this film, and I think it works really well. And this one being a surprise, like I didn't see it coming, and I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, I did forget it happens twice. I thought I thought it was just the first, and then he knows. But yeah, anyway, so he's lowered down, and it's kind of in a similar looking office to where we saw before um, in New York, uh, with this kind of fancy looking office place. Uh, but there's a big long table, and Mister Big's there. Mister Big and Solitaire are sitting at the table. Those he. Uh, so Bond gets uh, locked, strapped onto the seat at the end of the table. And this is the scene where kind of like you end up connecting, well, not you, but the film is just spelling out the the connection between Mr. Big and Dr. Kananga. Because um, basically Mr. Big is, is asking Bond, did he sleep with Solitaire? Bond is not telling him, saying that's between me and Kananga and Solitaire. And Mr. Big starts to lose his temper. And eventually reveals that, oh my goodness, it's the same character as if the dodgy prosthetics <laughs> wasn't a sign. <laughs> he starts to peel off his face and it's Dr. Kananga all along. I think, I don't mind, I don't mind it. I think um, like as far as like the whole prosthetic stuff goes, it didn't look too bad enough to like take me out of it and think that just looks ridiculous. I think... The sound effects they use is very, uh, it sounded all very, when I was watching it, I was getting a bit creeped out by all these like sloppy noises as he's peeling off his face. I was like, Ooh. Ooh. Do they need to put so much depth into the sound editing here? <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's Dr. Kananga uh, all along. Um, and this is where you, hang on. When, no, I was going to say this is where you realise his plan, but is that before or after we do the whole bit with Solitaire? I think this... No, this is first. This is first. So you realise uh, 
or Bond talks about, you know, all the uh, the heroin um, farms, poppy farms, and kind of guessing Kananga's plan to import that and sell it in America. And then you find out, actually, no, that's not his plan all along. He's not going to be a wholesale um, distributor. He's actually going to give it out for free. He's going to send two tons of heroin out into America, uh, basically to knock out all the competition of other suppliers uh, and then get a, a monopoly on it and then make loads of money that way, which you would have thought two tons of, of heroin would be quite a lot of money in itself, but clearly that's not enough for Dr. Kananga. I think <laughs> he, he says, more. though, doesn't it? Like, I can't remember the pro- Like, Bond does say the worth, the monetary worth of it. But I think just because he owns these islands and have such a huge capacity to grow heroin is why it's like, yeah, I can give all this stuff for free for the long-term sort of thing. And he's very much attacking the families who are in charge of the heroin stuff in America. Like, he wants to get rid of them so he can come in and basically be the only only guy in town. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I didn't know this about the Mr. Big Kananga thing. Um, I had no idea. So I was kind of experiencing this fresh. And I thought it was really cool. Uh, the, my main problem with it is what I said before, how Mr. Big isn't really a character at all. So it's not so much for me connecting, oh, Mr. Big, that character I know, and connecting him to Kananga. It's more this quite calm person with Kananga who gets a bit angry, actually has this other side where he's a lot more higher energy. And I liked that. And I liked that during the scene of him being angry like this, it works well enough of like the anger coming from Mr. Big is actually the anger coming from Kananga. And that reveal in itself was really cool. Like it's not someone else shouting at him. It is this person that we've seen before and seen quite a decent amount of. So I really liked it. Uh, as you say, the the effects aren't great, but they do kind of show the visual of him peeling back his face and that in itself, even though you don't kind of, it doesn't look amazing, but that in itself as a visual is quite striking to see someone just peeling off stuff from their face and eventually mm. having that be Kananga. So this this was really cool. Again, would have been nice if we saw more of Mr. Big, but I think it does very much help Kananga's character and definitely adds to him kind of as a villain for this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it's the idea of this, Mr. Big is his alter ego. So it's kind of nice to get those two you, you get mr big being the angry the one that what the violent one that's that's always like you know go waste him sort of thing that we saw earlier on and then you get kananga who previously we've seen being quite quiet and subdued and 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 uh, soft-spoken and then you get the merging of them which is quite nice yeah and the the actor just sells it like he just does a great job with it as well like yeah, a fit koto yeah with a yeah. worse actor this wouldn't have worked and i think it mostly works because of him and his ability to be a bit more calm and stuff, but also being a bit crazier and anger, like angry, like he's really good in this film. Yeah, definitely. But this leads to, yeah, now the plan is out there. So Kananga asks if he can see Bond's watch and the man with the hook tries to get it off him. And then Bond makes a joke saying, oh, butter hook, because he can't get it. <laughs> it, really, it really was quite clumsy with it. <laughs> he, yeah, he deserved a bit of a jab at like, Butterhook is not my favourite Bond line. I don't know. Uh, but so 
Kananga then says, "I like he reads out the serial number on the back of the card because basically he really wants to find out did Bond sleep with her because if it did, that means she doesn't have the power anymore to to see the future with the cards. So to test that power, he reads out the number or he reads out a number while looking at the back of the watch and asks uh, Solitaire, was I correct? Like, was that the registration number of the watch? And if you get it wrong, then Teehee is going to remove the little finger from Bond using his hook. And if you keep getting it wrong, then he's going to keep removing objects from from Bond or organs. I think it's implied. So mm-hmm. he reads the number. She reads the cards. She says, speaks the truth. Of which Kananga says, that's all fine. The answer was correct. So Bond is given his watch back. And this is another time where Bond starts speaking. And halfway through the sentence, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, T.E. just knocks him out. But he's just like putting the watch back on. He's like, oh, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be on my way. And just boom. And knocked out. <laughs> uh, and we just have Whisper. The, the other henchman comes and carries Bond away in a very demeaning manner under the arm bonds just limbs all flailing and stuff and just carries him out which then kind of leads to the baron showing up uh interestingly oh, yeah enough. yeah looking very fabulous in this black suit and this kind of scarf it's uh looked quite modern in some ways i would say i think he looked very fashionable with his yeah. cane as well yeah yeah uh and he burns some of the cards and Kananga then reveals to Solitaire, while the Baron is there, that you weren't even close. The numbers were just completely made up. She, He was actually lying. Um, and then she starts saying, like, oh, the cards gave me no choice but to sleep with Bond. I had to. If which Kananga gives us the old slap. And mm-hmm. Baron draws a death card from the pack and starts doing his manic laugh again. Him laughing? No. <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's odd, but it happens. Yeah. So the film then cuts to where Bond is being taken away to, being driven to, uh, and it ends up that it's some sort of farm. I think they say they're taken to the farm or something along those lines, didn't they? Um, so, yeah, he's taken to uh, this kind of like wooden shack place uh, on the outskirts, presumably. And Teehee's there, and it's a crocodile farm, which is really cool. We're getting lots of animals <laughs> in uh, this Bond film. Um, so this whole scene with Teehee and Bond is really nice. So he gets taken out of the car, and um, they go through this scene where you can see stuff happening in the background, which I guess is is it... Is it assumed then that that's where they are making the heroin in this lab? Yeah, like it's it's very oddly uh, high tech, but yeah, that's what I took. That the poppy fields they kind of send them here, and that's when they actually make the heroin. Although it's a very small operation, if that's the case, I'm assuming they've got mm. numerous ones across the country. But yeah, we are seeing another side of the operation, which is actually making the heroin. Yeah, uh, so Tihi and Bond walk out to the back where yeah, there's this big pond lake with all the uh the crocs in it and you get this i quite like this scene because you actually get a bit of teehee and a bit of um i mean it's not much but compared to other bond villain henchmen this is way more than usual where teehee's uh opens this big can of uh 
disgusting looking chicken bits um, to feed the crocodiles. And he's, you know, he's out there and he's, as he's doing this, he's explaining to Bond, oh, there's, there's that one. And that's how you can tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile. And there's old Albert, I think it's called. And we found out that's the one that actually um, bit off his arm. That's why he's got the, the claw arm. And it's just a little bit of, a little bit of background. And I think the actor just, it's just a quite a pleasant actor to watch. He's quite um, engaging to watch. So you get all this. And whilst this is happening, they're, they're kind of walking as this is all going on. Um, and eventually, whilst uh, after he's finished feeding, Tihi walks back and it cuts and you, you realise that there's actually been this bridge that they've been walking across, which is now retracting. Um, and Bond has been left on this tiny little bit of land in the middle of this crocodile-infested uh, water. And they just leave him. They leave him there. But they go back inside the inside the lamp and Bond is left with a, a bit of chicken on on the uh, on the island bit as all these crocs start circling in. It and... is the old cliche for the end bit, as you say, they just leave and they don't watch it at all, which is that old mistake, but which is a bit silly, but it is quite yeah. funny to have them laughing and just walk off like, ha ha, you loser, whatever. <laughs> Go get eaten by crocodiles, we don't care. Uh, but yeah, you're right, he kind of... Just having him talk a little bit and explaining the arm just does really help a lot. Yeah. It's not just a weirdo with an arm. It's a weirdo with an arm with a with a story to tell. <laughs> oh, that makes him sound so nice. He's got a story, everyone. Yeah, and the smiling <laughs> thing again, like whenever he's on screen, it stands out because he's always smiling and laughing. But having, yeah. you know, we know where this is going. He's going to try and kill Bond. But him just kind of smiling and laughing and Bond being kind of his casual, kind of somewhat cocky self. It, it's actually a really nice kind of chemistry between these two. <laughs> really uh, they is. do play play off each other quite well. Yeah. Yeah, I was quite surprised by how much I liked the scene. And it is just, I think this might be one of my favourite kind of set pieces in the whole film uh, with the upcoming stunts and stuff. Because, yeah, so Bond has been left on this little island and the, the crocodiles and alligators are coming closer and closer. And this is where I realised that Kind of what you said earlier about it's just cool to see a snake, which, which for me not as much, but crocodiles are just cool. <laughs> like, hmm. Just seeing alligators and crocodiles, you forget like they're really scary looking things, and these are huge. These ones, uh, and they are really intimidating. So that yeah, like their mouths open as they're crawling forwards, and they get these really good shots of just angry looking crocodiles. Um, Bond spots this sort of canoe boat thing. Uh, and tries to use his watch, which is, is a you know, remember the watch? It's magnetic with the teaspoon. We're going to use it. Um, so, yeah, he tries to use his magnet with its super strong, uh, sorry, his watch with his super strong magnet to try and pull this boat towards him, uh, but it's it's roped up, so it only gets so far. So to counter that or to try and, try and still escape, he does what any sane person would do in the situation, you jump across the crocodiles yeah. <laughs> over to the boat. I mean, it's it's obvious, right? Uh, but no, it is, it's a really cool stunt. And it's because, and I think this is like one of the more well-known things from this film, is that this was all done for real. And that there was this actual crocodile farmer that that did this stunt like five times where he jumped across the backs of these crocodiles. Kind of been very nice for the crocs, but um, like they actually do snap up. And that's a real person getting snapped at uh, running across. And it's so funny because... It's on screen for about two seconds. It's such a quick shot. It makes you think, did they really have to do that for real? But they did. And it's knowing that, I think, really adds to it. 
Oh, yeah, this is great. We we talk about this film and the, the smaller scale set pieces and stuff like that. And this is just the way to do it. Like maybe one of the better smaller ones in the whole franchise, honestly, because there's just such that, first of all, you see poor old Roger on the rock, <laughs> just looking like, I guess I'm here and I'm going to get mm-hmm. eaten. And as you say, he just starts getting surrounded, but they leave him those extra bits of chicken so he does kind of have these lifelines to kind of shoo them back, but he just starts running out of time as they start approaching. And I love that detail that he sees a boat. He's like, right, I'm Bond, James Bond. I've got the watch. Let's bring the boat over here. And it's just stuck on a rope. And he's like, well, that didn't work. Like, it's, wah, such, wah. A, it's such a great <laughs> way to, to put off the tension. And I, I think I remember reading about this film is that this is when they kind of wanted to bring the gadgets in a little bit and thought that they Mm. were getting a bit too silly and i feel like this is them kind of poking fun at the gadgets of like well the gadgets aren't always going to be helpful in this situation and this is exactly what we get here and yeah it's a bit silly to go across the the crocodiles like that but yeah this was awesome i might say it is my favorite scene in the film it's just such a such a memorable moment such great visual such great tension and just yeah really subvert your expectations as well just brilliant just really good there you go. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, so yeah, Bond does jump across the backs and gets out, gets back onto where the um, the lab is. Then, so this bit kind of confused me. So he he opens the gate to like the the lake where the crocodiles are and kind of puts a trail of chicken towards the door <laughs> of the lab. Classic. So yeah, presumably to lead the crocodile into the lab. But then he also blows it up. So I, I don't get why he did the first bit maybe he's trying to blow up the crocodiles oh maybe he wants a new bag or something i don't know, shoes. <laughs> I don't know. I think but, it's just bond being over the top and just like right i'll send the yeah. crocodiles in and then i'll blow him up i mean it's just like because what what really got me is that so yeah he he like gets um this like gasoline from these these uh things and then pours it and yeah blows it up um and it really does blow up as well as a, a big explosion but during this bit, you do see like a child crocodile. It's obviously not a real one, but you do see this little child crocodile on the edge of the screen. And it's like, oh, that's just sad. Why did Bond have to like leave the crocodiles out of this? They haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's fair, but it's Bond. Bond, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, he blows up the lab and everyone, everyone runs out because it's on fire. Bond finds a boat speedboat nearby and gets on that and escapes and i, I think yeah the, the henchmen come out and see that just in time and um chase him and then we get quite a large portion of the film now which is this speedboat chase this is a good chunk of it coming up i hope we can get through this quickly because i've wasted enough of my life on this already having to watch it yes i agree let's let's get through this so it's okay so basically we've got uh so it's in louisiana and bond is on a boat and he's being chased but it goes on for so long so initially we get all the rate like everyone's on the radio like right we gotta go get him we gotta go get them and we see a little bit of him driving over some humps dirt humps or something and Hmm. the chase starts uh but as it kind of kicks off we cut to a a policeman a sheriff i believe uh in a car And basically, there's another henchman who is currently saying, like, here's the one who calls it in. 
So this is nothing to do with Kananga. There's this henchman or who works with him. I can't remember his name. I don't know if they say. And basically he's leading this attack. So he's then driving a car trying to to get bombed. And he drives past the sheriff and the guy's like, ah, oh, he's doing at least 95. Let's go get him. And as the guy is then set up, the, the policeman arrests him, basically. Uh, starts spilling on the floor. And, well... I guess let's not be around the bush. The policeman in question is J.W. Pepper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's him. So, here's a comedy character. Yeah. He's, he's a bit of a character. Oh, yeah. I don't know. With this scene of the guy getting arrested because his, you know, the J, J.W. is white and, and the guy is black, I don't know if they were going for, like, a racial sort of angle here or if this is more black exploitation. Like, I wonder of this... I don't know if JW is meant to just be a racist. <laughs> like, with the way they use him in future films or the next film, probably not. But I feel like maybe the idea of this stereotypical Lu- Lu- Louisiana, sorry, uh, cop like this, I feel like he might meant to be a big racist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, doesn't he say as he's arresting him, like, oh, this, this is, I doubt this is your first time sort of thing. Yeah. Like, he definitely is. I mean, it, I do like the character in other ways, but he's not, he's arguably just, well, not even arguably, he's not a nice person. <laughs> he's annoying, he's terrible. Yeah, like this isn't get out, guys. You can't do this sort of scene and have it work. Uh, but so I'm trying to, I don't want to go through all this bit by bit because we go basically this whole scene, we go between Bond being chased on the on the river in a boat mm to the police then basically trying to track them down um but we do get a a visual that i quite like here so as the guy's being arrested by jw pepper um bond then jumps over them i think over them right yeah in the boat and then someone else does but that guy goes straight into the into the cop car and it's actually a really cool... It's another one where it's like the visuals of these films with these kind of comedic action scenes are really good. And I think seeing a a boat smashed into a police car, visually, I thought that was like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's good. And the whole bit with your Bond jumping over, that's good for the first time. But I feel like that's the only thing they really could do with this scene or this whole, this whole chase is we, like, we see that there's a lot of that, a lot of like jumping over bits of land on a boat. Or, or briefly going over a bit of land on a boat, and it's like, oh, that was cool the first time, but you can't really do much else when it's there's no gadgets or anything. There's no, it's not like previous boat chases where we've had weapons involved with mines or stuff. It's just boats following each other. One hundred percent, yeah. And I don't know, like, was there any part of this boat chase that worked for you? Maybe let's do it that way round. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> Uh, the the explosion at the end was was quite nice. <laughs> it ends in a big explosion. There was a nice aerial shot towards the end where it shows the river and stuff. And I wish there was a lot more of it because most of this is kind of shot very close with the boats and a lot of the time with the JW and the police and stuff like that. But towards the end, there was some really nice kind of aerial shots there, but just kind of not enough. But should I just go through and just like bullet point this? <laughs> because yeah that, yeah okay yeah because basically we don't want to go for it scene by scene because it's just so long like basically what we just described police being nearby trying to stop this happening and like boats being destroyed and stuff it's just all that happens so 
JW's car gets destroyed. Another police car picks him up to then chase. Bond is still being chased. So his then his engine then starts cutting out and there's only one boat behind him. This then cuts to the guy just landing in a pool, like a swimming pool. Mm. Like he goes on a ramp and lands on a swimming pool, which allows Bond to then get off and go onto a new boat and he's now free. But then you just instantly see somebody else is now with a, is there. So I don't know what the point of that was. And then we're back to the police where they've got this big uh, block in the river where this bridge is. And they're like, we're going to get him this time. We got this all blocked up. And he just drives through the middle of the bridge and breaks it a bit. And that's, yeah, it's, that's that. It's not a very good barricade. No. And then the other guy follows him. Which leads to JW saying, my, my half-brother? Is it half-brother? My brother-in-law, Billy Bob. Our brother-in-law, Billy Bob, has a boat. So we then cut to the guy that we saw before he was being arrested, stealing the boat. And then JW on the radio is talking to Billy Bob and is basically saying this is where they are, which is how that guy knows where they are. So then back to Bond driving the boat and being chased... And for the very first time in this, we get music. Yep. So that's nice. Yep, no, music is good to have in, in action scenes, yeah. Yeah. And then we get, in the same way we got that comedy scene with the boat like going onto, into the swimming pool with a load of people just around it, we then get the same scene again, but this time it's a wedding. And Bond cuts the corner of this river, and then the second boat goes, and this time hits the wedding cake and destroys one of the tents and then the bride starts crying oh yeah the, the bride starts crying and the groom starts smiling i did like that bit like, he's loving it he, he found that very entertaining yeah so that's our second kind of comedy bit in terms of the boat destroying something and then we go to another comedy bit where the policemen are driving behind a van of oysters oh right and it's really slow yeah and i don't know i quite like the old man driving the oyster van but it's just so pointless um, and they're just like they have to overtake it only for only so they then set a trap of which Bond then just and this is quite cool to be fair like Bond cuts onto the road slides across and then lands in the next river to basically avoid the, the trap and I mm. think that sort of stuff I quite like it's just we get so much of it like yeah and this causes all the police cars to crash and then the oyster fan shows up and you ho- gives it a little bit of horn, which that actually did make me laugh because it's such a weak horn. It's the old switcheroo, yeah. Yeah, and then back to the actual chase where Bond is... Now it's just the guy who stole the Biddy Bob's boat with a gun trying to find him. Bond makes a bit of a petrol kind of bomb and rigs this this whole old boat up to blow, I think. He then throws petrol on the guy on a pass. He then passes again and turns it on uh, and then rams the boat into the ship and it blows up and it all explodes. And this just takes ages. Like, you could edit half of this out and still have a pretty long boat chase as far as boat chases go. Yeah, it's it's not good, really. It's not good. it's, it's, It's peppered with <laughs> peppered with pepper with some it's peppered with some good bits some good bits i mean i i like i say i don't mind jw pepper he's a very annoying character but like 
he's at least going all in with it, right? Like, there's no, he's not half cocked, right? It's, mm. I'll stop doing that now. Um, but yeah, like, it, he is, he's definitely a memorable character, put it that way. Um, so I do like him on, for that regard. The rest of the, I mean, in, in general, the rest of the characters in this film, I don't, I can't really say the same about being memorable. Um, so I like that, but I just think, yeah, it's just so much filling of this and it, it really doesn't, and as we said, the, the lack of music for some of this just makes it feel so slow and long, just not good. So, like, you would probably expect me to come on here and talk about how much I hate J.W. Pepper and all that, but I think I didn't mind him. It's just the fact that this scene goes on for so long that annoys me. So I was very annoyed and not happy. But J.W. Pepper, I thought, was fine. Like, he didn't really make me laugh, but if you're going to try and do this sort of comedy bit, like, I didn't, I don't really mind it. Like, that's mm. okay. It's just so laid with so many jokes and so many kind of these stunts, which some stuff works. It's just, it just needs to be edited down. So I'm not going to get annoyed about J.W. Pepper. I thought it was fine. Didn't make me laugh, but it's fine. It's just, man, like, it's like I said, like, this is a two hour film that is paced like Dr. No, but has to fit up like an extra 20 minutes or something. And this is apparently how they did it. And it's like, just come on, guys. Like, this this is just bad. This so should have been edited out. And I think maybe they were trying to hit an arbitrary... Maybe they were trying to hit two hours. Maybe they had to hit the two hours. Maybe, because um, it is like two hours on the dot, pretty much. Yeah, like, this might have been edited up, intentionally padded out, because they had all these shots and stuff. But it makes for a much worse film. And if they try to kind of lean more into the d-scope that we got here with this film and allow it to be that shorter film similar to dr no it would have been a lot better but as it is this film is we go from like one of the best scenes to this which just takes ages and like if you if you need a toilet if this if you need a toilet (laughs) break this is it which is nice that they have it so clearly signaled for everyone yeah when you see lots of water that's a time when you need to go to the loo yeah it's a, it um, matches, doesn't it? Yeah, it all matches up. But yeah, eventually it does end, finally. Uh, and Bond drives up to Felix, where Felix is and all, all the cops are, and that's where you get a little bit more. You're not quite done with J.W. Pepper. He's back and he goes to arrest Bond and they have to be like, no, 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 he's an agent. He works for us. or you know, He works with us sort of thing. Um, and I think Felix says something like they've spotted that Kananga's gone back to San Monique now, so... We got to go back to the islands. There's a lot of back and forth in this film between these two locations. Um, so yeah, then it just—that's it. Like we get onto the plot now, and we're getting onto this is like the climax of the film, pretty much. Um, Bond, Felix, and Quarrel are in a boat uh, at night time, out just kind of like on the edges of the island. And I kind of missed a bit of this, but I'm I'm assuming that they're setting up bombs to go off for which quarrel is going to plant. But there was something about the timing, about midnight. I don't know how much that actually meant anything or whether it was just a throwaway line. I think it's just but, when yeah. the bombs were going to go off. I think that's okay. what it is. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're going to set up some bombs to to blow up all the, the poppy fields uh, or, or whilst Bond goes on and, and tries to find Kananga. So um, this, this whole end bit I, I don't love, but I do like... I do like Bond's outfit because we do have the classic uh, black turtleneck and holster. And we've seen this fairly recently with 
Spectre, they brought back this look for some of the posters of Daniel Craig and kind of this is where it all stems from. And it does look cool. I mean, I don't know. I feel like maybe Sean could have pulled it off a bit better. But Roger, he still does look very good. I think anyone would look good in this sort of outfit. It's such a cool looking outfit. Um, but yeah, he's like, he's there in the in the forest about to go kind of scout out the area. And he comes across uh, another ritual. So the same sort of ritual we saw at the beginning. Lots of people dancing and singing and chanting and fire. And um, it is revealed that it's Solitaire this time. She's the one who's going to be tied up, uh, much like the agent at the beginning, uh, to the posts. And we get, it's kind of the same again. We get the, the nice snake man with his goat hat. <laughs> I think it's a goat anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, big goat hat. Um, and does the same thing again with the snake and kind of dancing up to her. And there's a bit of tension there about, you know, she's about to get, about to get bitten. But um, all whilst it's happening, Bond with his gun, he's kind of lining up the shots to to take out the snake guy and and save Solitaire when suddenly everything just stops and they don't do that. Kind of a bit of a strange, strange bit. But yeah, they all stop because a Baron, the Baron arrives. The Baron arrives out of the grave, which I kind of, I forgot that he comes back here. Uh, it literally rises out of the grave. Um which is kind of a cool visual. That's the thing. I think the whole voodoo element has it's such it's got such a lot going for it with this film in terms of visuals. Uh and this is this is like perfect sort of stuff obviously for that. So yeah. Baron arrives and then I can't remember the order of things because I assume cuz Bond shoots it. But does he do that before or after they start doing the snakes again? So I had it that basically yeah, once they show up um I think that, yeah, because you've got the man with the snake and I have it that Bond shot the man with the snake first. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. So, yeah, so basically once the Baron shows up, all the party continues. So Bond was previously like, I'll just shoot the guy who's got the snake. That seems like a good solution. Uh, I do like the shot of Roger Moore like thinking about it, trying to be like, hmm, what to do? <laughs> and then his plan is, I'll oh, just shoot the guy. That, that will solve it up. So, yeah, once the Baron shows up, oh, the party continues. So Bond then says, well, I'll just do my, I'll just do plan A. That seems pretty solid. Kills the guy with the snake and then points the gun at the Baron, shoots him in the head, only to reveal it's a fake. What? Yeah, it's like paper mache or something. I don't quite, I don't yeah. quite know. And that, like he shoots it three times which completely destroys it down to the <laughs> that, core. That third shot, it just explodes. <laughs> yeah, you go from like the head, and this is another cool visual, as you say, where he shoots, initially you don't know it's a fake, so he shoots him in the head, and like half of his kind of skull disappears. But of course, it's, you know, it's a fake, so you don't see a skull or anything, but you have this like, this his face, but half of it's destroyed, which is pretty, pretty creepy. I, I quite like mm. that shot. Yeah, um, definitely. But then he shoots it again, and that completely destroys it entirely. It's like, okay, that's a that's a bit silly. Um, but following from that, the Baron then rises again. There's another Baron. Oh man! Uh, so, but this time, let me make sure I get this right. So, I think around this time is when the explosions in the poppy field start going off. So, yeah, we hit midnight. So Bond actually shoots another guy with a, a cleaver and takes it, I think, and then goes to free Solitaire, and the explosions are all going off, but this time Baron comes back, 
and starts laughing, doing his usual thing. So they go in for a bit of a fight. And I don't have many notes about this bit. I think this is super quick, isn't it? It's just a couple it, of clings, and a little bit of a kick, and that's the Baron defeated. Yep, it is really quick. Um, yeah, as you say, he's got this big machete bond, but it's, it's a couple swipes, and then yeah, into the coffin for the snakes. You hear some grunting and groaning and some ahs, and then that's that's the end of the Baron, supposedly. Mm, yeah, he goes into the... yeah. There, so there's this whole coffin full of snakes, which is where the original snakes came from. So him, he gets kicked into there, and you get some pretty weak noise, stuff like, oh, no, oh. <laughs> snakes. <laughs> Ow. Owie, yeah. So, I mean, there's a reason for it, but... And I like the setup of kicking somebody into the coffin of snakes. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. It's just, yeah, it's another one where I said before about how with Roger Moore, they kind of avoid having fights, and this is another one where it's so brief that I think the whole point is that they just wanted to get rid of him to move on and they didn't really want to do a proper fight. So they just didn't. Bit of a cleaver fight, kick in the coffin. Right, we're off. Yep. Uh, Which leads to Bond standing on the grave where the Baron came from. And then I think he clinks on on the grave or something like that to signal he wants to come down. And then he goes down and we see that, that, yeah, there's this facility underground and stuff like that. So... Uh, the alarm then gets sound because Bond just instantly gets spotted by these guards. And then we go into Bond and Solitaire sneaking around the base. And we get another very Bond-looking lair. Like, it's futuristic kind of doors, all these metal doors and rocks for walls. Yeah, yeah, they love rocks. Just it doesn't matter where Bond goes. They always seem to build them the same. They must have the same, like, contractor or something. <laughs> it's just in the business. Yeah, they always just pass him around. Oh, he's really good, this guy. No cowboy builder here. No, no. Yeah, it blew up, but that's not his fault. You can't blame oh, him for that, no. can you? No, I mean, they're insured for that. They know Bond's going to come along, so. Hmm. With Bond and Solitaire going around the lair, they eventually enter this room, and you see Kananga there, basically expecting them being like ah there you are let me let me get you a drink uh he's got a few guards and his henchmen with them with guns and he's kind of gone full nuts now like not barren nuts he's not laughing all the time or anything but he definitely seems a little bit more kind of unhinged on this but he's doing the whole i'm going to be super friendly to you and it's just very much more animated which i'd I've praised his character throughout the film and I really like this at the end that he kind of opens up and kind of goes a bit more to the whole manic side and it kind of asks here. Um, And then, so Kananga then asks Bond, everything comes a bit more casual as they're having drinks and Bond is like, let's see your gun. And he aims it at Whisper, who's sitting on the sofa, uh, shoots it, but he shoots it at the sofa and the sofa then inflates and explodes and it's like, ingenious! Um, <laughs> so I guess to get it out there, I don't know where this gun came from. I think I missed explaining it. So it was it was when Quarrel and that were on the boat. I think Quarrel says to Bond, like, oh, here's this gun for uh, this gas pellet gun for the sharks sort of thing. I think that's when it's explained. Oh, I see. Oh, I, I guess that makes sense, doesn't it? Right? Blows up. Like, if you shoot a shark, it's probably still going to come at you. But if you blow yeah. it up with a gas pellet... Blow that shark up. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to do it. Uh, so, yeah. So, and then they point out an underground monorail, which seems a little bit pointless. I think it's purely there, so there's an escape route. But it's another one where it's like, this isn't Spectre. This isn't Blofeld. 
but they very much are pulling elements from those bases and those films into this one, even though it is someone completely different. Yeah. Yeah, and I think maybe the uh, set designer, I think maybe is it still Ken Adam at this point? Maybe he just really likes building monorails. I think he probably did. There must be a little bit of something there for that, but I feel like they kind of, because this is a different type of villain, there was almost like a real effort to make it try and feel like a Bond one, so... It's not a very interesting lair or anything like that, but it's like, it's another, you know, box ticking exercise of like, oh, it's all the Bond stuff you know. Uh, so it's pretty forgettable from that side of things, but you kind of get why they, they went that way. Yeah, yeah. And then they tie up Bond and Solitaire to this kind of contraption thing and say, oh, or Bond's like, ah, don't drown us, or are you going to drown us or something? And he says, oh, no, you're not going to drown and gets a knife and very slowly cuts like three lines into Bond's arm, which is that's pretty pretty crazy um, to kind of see Bond kind of even just Bond bleed, I guess. You don't normally get that at all. Um, mm. So this was quite intimidating in a way of this guy who's kind of gone off the edge a bit, having this knife and also very intensely looking at it, like Taranga being right there cutting Bond's arm. He's like, oh, okay, this is... Yeah quite intimidating you could tell that he's, like, as he's doing it his face is like he's kind of enjoying it sort of thing so like a lot of pleasure from this so that as you say links into the sort of he's really kind of lost it by this point angle yeah it's kind of great so you know it's such a the setup itself is kind of rubbish because uh, we find out that basically they're lowering him into the water and then we see blood dripping into the water and he's all like hey let's open up the gates and sharks then come in so he's literally just lowering him into sharks which bad setup not very interesting we've seen sharks before having someone lower in like that not great but i mean it's kind of somewhat saved by kananga and and the acting but this is a pretty dull and i guess refilling my hand here for this whole kind of section it's not bad but like this whole setup is kind of just a bit naff and feels a bit half-hearted absolutely yeah I, I just think it like as you say sharks have been done better before um they just come out of nowhere oh the sharks here as well i guess it was sort of set up with the gun earlier but yeah i don't know it, it just feels a little bit i mean I, I was gonna say it feels rushed but i don't really think there is an ending of a bond film that doesn't really feel rushed necessarily i think they're always going to have that feeling because they always want to get this bit over quite quickly uh but this one just feels rushed and not interesting so, yeah, a bit of both. Well, we have, like, Thunderball, which I would say does quite a good job because you get the big battle involving Bond and the bad guy, but then we get this extra bit, which is the bo- the boat chase and stuff. I think that probably did the big finale better, and maybe yeah. that's because of the budget, but this doesn't kind of work out in this way. You get that fight with the Baron, which is a bit rubbish, and now we're already here on the very low-key kind of rubbish one. It's like, and there's no real stakes here at all. Like, it's not like you only live twice where there's something going on in the background. Bond's just there, and he's just kind of got to take him down, I guess. But there's there's zero stakes, and there's zero that's big right. set pieces. It's just, like, them in a room. Yeah, that's actually true. There's no there's no bomb about to go off, like some world, you know, affecting bomb or... Yeah, it's like, what would have... It's just selling some heroin. Like, there's nothing... It's not going to be shipped <laughs> tonight, <laughs> Like, it's not like this massive, there's no timer going on in the background. Yeah, I think that, you're right, that definitely contributes to it just feeling a little bit low-key. 
Mm, so I didn't hate it, but yeah, this was kind of a bit of a letdown considering. But I think Kananga's acting does enough. So this kind of leads to Bond also using his metal or the magnet watch again to get one of the gas canisters and uh, he hides it in his mouth, basically. So while he's being lowered down, Whisper, the henchman who's nearby, is like looking away and Bond uses his opportunity to activate a spin cut feature of his watch to basically cut into the rope. Uh, so Joe, what what did you think about uh, this watch? Oh, I loved it. Oh, Great you loved Q-gadget. it. gadget. There we go. Nice. Cool. Really well set up. Yeah, yeah. I could. It's just like the 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 journey of this, seeing it used earlier on in the film, and then oh, it's cut. Oh no, wait, that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen at all. <laughs> We've never seen that that <laughs> function before. And as I say, sometimes it's not. You don't need everything explained. But when it's going to be the gadget that gets Bond out of the big ending, it needs some setup. It needs something. It can't just come out of the blue. No. So I think I don't need the whole presentation thing here. Like, I don't need Q to go down like, now listen here, Bond. Here's, like, I like those scenes. But I think if they had a throwaway line, well, maybe not a throwaway line, but some sort of line in there, and it only needed to be quick saying like, this watch is full of surprises, don't you know? Like some sort of implication that the watch has another function gadget-wise that might come in handy. Yeah. I think yeah. that would have been enough for me. Like yep. maybe not super satisfying, but that would have been enough. So I at least get like, okay, this watch can not just do the magnet thing. It can do something else, but I don't know what that is. I guess at some point we're going to find out. And then we find out here and say, oh, okay, that's quite a inventive way of having the watch and having it spin like that. That's quite cool. But as far as I'm aware, there's nothing like that in this film. And it, it doesn't make me too annoyed or anything. But yeah, like just some just some sort of line, just a hint at it, I think would have been enough to have this work a bit better i just don't understand how that was missed maybe it wasn't missed and they just didn't see that as a problem but but surely i don't know if it, how many like would they have done screen tests back then for bond films and things but i don't know it's not difficult to see the gap there it's not difficult to see that could be an issue that there is this gadget just coming out of nowhere and you're right, it wouldn't really have had to have been much at all. We wouldn't, wouldn't even have needed to like see it used. If, yeah, you're right, Like don't, we don't need that. Just, just something. That's just, yeah. Anyway, it didn't really annoy me too much either, <laughs> to be honest, because I, I knew it was coming and I've already, that's already like on my list of things I don't like about this film. So I just sort of glossed over it this time. Same thing with what happens next with how Bond defeats Kananga. Well, yeah, let's get into that then. So Bond frees himself using the, the spinning watch. He then swings on this contraption and we get... I love this moment. Like, if you want to see, like, peak City Bond humour and what my favourite stuff is, we basically get Bond swinging off and Whisper sees all this happening. Like, he finally notices what's going on. So he tries to warn Kananga, but because he can only whisper, he just <laughs> he just whispers, like, look out. But he doesn't hear him, and Bond kicks Whisper into this missile, and then the missile shuts him in, and that's Whisper taken care of. <laughs> it's just so funny, because, yeah, the whole film, Whisper's been there, and every time he's just always whispered, and as you say, in the hotel, he would, like, they pointed it out. But to have his demise be, like, 
him just trying to warn someone. Oh, the the poetic uh, irony or whatever it would be. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, that's that's what we're asking for. That's exactly. You see, it was set up at the beginning or throughout. We know that people can't hear whisper. So when this happens, it's great. It's a rewarding payoff. Unlike the watch. So yeah, I like this too. It's just yeah, it's not hoisted by his own petard or something like that. Yeah, it's so silly, but it works. Like they put in the effort. And oh, I like Whisper. I like Whisper a lot. But this all leads to Bond and... Well, now Whisper's out the way. Uh, Bond and Kanaka themselves have a, a fight. Which, this is also brief, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's very quick where they just... A couple of blows and a bit of wrestling. But then they fall into the water. Where the shark is. Where Bond is bleeding. So initially like, oh no, that's that's not a good time. Uh, but very quickly, Bond just kind of shoves the canister that he had in his mouth into Mr. Big, which then goes off, and this causes Mr. Big to inf- like go flying upwards, inflate, and then explodes. And, I mean, it yeah. doesn't look very good. Let's Let's get that out the way. And you get this, like, both the effect and also the way it's shot. Like, for some reason, it's really, like, grainy and low quality. Almost makes it feel like a horror sort of thing, where you just have this low-quality shot of this, like, inflated man shooting up. Uh, And it's another one of these, like a lot of this film. It's not great, but it didn't really bother me too much. It just looks a bit daft and it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, Yeah, I knew it was coming, so it was fine. I, I really dislike it. Everything you just said. It is weirdly, it does really jump in quality. I don't know why. I, I, I do wonder, is it, like, it obviously looks bad. Like, they can't have blood or anything. They can't have gore for a person exploding because it's meant to be PG film. So I, and that's fine. I'm not going to judge a film for that. Like, oh, I need more blood. I need it to be realistic. I need to see bones flying out. But um, this, the sound, yeah, the sound effect of like a balloon deflating and everything, they must have done that to be funny, right? That that's the only way you could do that. Then one could think realistically, ah oh, yes, this this is how the body would sound <laughs> when flying up with a gas canister. So I don't understand why they would have wanted to make that bit humorous. No, because, I don't know. Because yeah, it's a pop, like a balloon. Straight yeah, up like it, a balloon. Yeah. I don't know. Let's move on because it's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh yeah, then we get a a line from Bond. He did always have an inflated opinion of himself. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good Roger Moore impression. I like that. Thanks. Find me on Fiverr. Okay. <laughs> you got some stiff competition. I think I do, yeah. I can't go in half cocked on this one. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, so okay, we're nearly there. So he then Bond sets Solitaire free and we just cut to the train station. Where Bond and Felix are there, and basically Bond's with Solitaire, and Felix is like, "Are you sure you want to get the train? That's dumb." And then they're like, "What are you two going to do for sixteen hours on the train together?" And which is like, "Oh, no, no, you know." Obviously, there's an implication there. Although it's quite funny because he says that, and then very shortly over, it cuts to them just playing cards on yeah. the table. <laughs> yeah, Bond losing at gin rummy. <laughs> yeah, he loses at gin rummy. Um, but then Bond kind of sets this up of. Uh, yeah, let's pull down the bed. And you know what they say if you're unlucky at cards. And I don't think he actually finishes the full full line. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see 
that in the mail room, I think it's the mail room, maybe it's coal yeah. or something, but I think it something was mail. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, we see a hook come out of a bag. <gasps> it's not over yet. Um, and we cut to Bond and uh, Solitaire getting ready for bed. And Bond in another robe. <laughs> oh my God, you and his robes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another robe. Another one, yeah. Well, th- look, there's no more hat stuff. I need, I need this. Oh, true. The hat yeah, stuff wasn't in thing. this film. I need, I need the robe stuff to fill that void. Oh, I look forward to the robe watch going forward then. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's gonna be great. Uh, <laughs> so those two are in, uh, and then we see a hook go into a circuit box, and cuts out all the lights, and we then zoom in. Like, so basically, I think the setup is Solitaire thinks she's talking to Bond and asking Bond to do stuff, but it's actually like Teehee in the background messing with stuff. Yeah. Which is all right. Didn't think it was very funny, but luckily Solitaire gets taken out of this fight straight away. So I wasn't too upset about it. (laughs) Yeah, so she's there like, oh... She says something like, oh, uh, just to feel the touch of your hand or something, like that, doesn't she? And, and the gag is that then it's like the claw touches her instead um, of Tiki, who's broken into the room, and he slams her up because the bed kind of like, while still in the bed, folds her away to get her out of the picture for this fight scene uh, because, yeah, Bond comes back out of, I think he was, I don't know, the bed, bathroom. Um, Bond comes out and you get a little fight scene between Tiki and Bond. Uh, we did. I think we spoke about before, you know, the Bond and trains, and and uh, it's like a, it's always a nice thing to see Bond and the train, at least for me. And with this one, you could there's an element of the From Russia of Love fight as well uh, between Bond and Teehee, but nowhere near as good. I don't think they really ever match that quality. So it's just a lot of um, a lot of fun again, just more fumbling around really, especially with Teehee's big stupid crappy arm thing <laughs> doesn't look good which i'm still annoyed about but uh yeah it's it's just them two smashing up the cabin um for a little bit and at one point bond rips the sleeve of Teehee's jacket and exposes all of the uh wires and hydraulics whatever is involved in his claw machinery and Teehee pins him up against the window of the train carriage uh, kind of like choking him. So Bond grabs a nearby pair of uh, nail clippers or something. Or, yeah, like tweezers, right? Tweezers and uh, starts to like ping, cut all of um, all of the connections on Teehee's arm, which causes it to lock up around the window handle. And so he's stuck to the window now. And yeah, after that, Bond just lobs him out, like tips him over, and lobs <laughs> yeah. him out, opens the window, tips him out, arm comes off, stays on the window, and that's the end of Teehee. I actually quite like this fight, to be fair. And I think it's for what you're saying, though, like Bond on a train, fighting someone, that's usually pretty good. It's hard to really kind of mess that up. And, you know, I like Teehee. I don't love Teehee, but I like Teehee. So seeing these two together... And I think Roger Moore does a lot better with these fight scenes when there's such, like this obvious physical thing like a hook hand like him fighting someone normally it doesn't really work but him just kind of wrestling with someone with this giant hook i think kind of matches him a little bit better and him trying not to get hooked uh is i mean we'll see this sort of thing as we go Uh, but to this one yeah i quite liked it it was quite a nice nice end and it was nice to get another fight with Teehee. do i like this structure of having the extra fight at the end no 
Mm. Um, and I think it goes to your point about the ending of these films kind of starting to be like a bit weak. And I think part of the reason is because, yeah, they just, we have two endings and we just have to sit through two of them and both of them aren't as good as one ending. So we just have two weak endings to the film, which I just don't like. I just don't think that that works very well. I would like something that's a bit more put together and, and things like that. So, you know, I still like the scene, but I, I don't like this structure of let's have one more hurrah at the end. Yep, I, I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen this scene just earlier on in the film. Um, yeah, I don't know where or when, snuck in there somehow, because, you know, let's say, Bond on trains, these sort of scenes on trains, I like them, but I just don't like this being the end. I feel like I was ready for the film to be over with the, the balloon explosion. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. So and, and that's it, really. So Bond makes one more joke about being disarming because uh, she Solitaire doesn't realise what's happened. And we end on a shot of the Baron sitting on the back of the train, laughing, staring at the camera. And a skull on fire, the one that we saw in the, the title sequence, appears. And the credits roll. And Live and Let Die starts playing as the theme. And there we go. Yeah, there you go. I don't really like the idea of like, I never really thought of like, oh, the Baron actually is immortal or something. That's something I very much pushed at the back of my head because I don't like the idea of that being in Bond. I don't mind some of this stuff, but actually the Baron Baron can't die. I'm just like, yeah, just ignore that. It's like, it's a good ending shot, but I'm just going to ignore that fact. Yeah, to me, it's just a cool visual, but I, I'm not looking into it in terms of the, oh, how, yeah, voodoo is actually alive, supernatural. It's, it's, that's one step too far, I think, for me in the Bond, the Bond universe. Like, you can have silly gadgets and silly technology, but once it goes into ghosts and, and stuff like that, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, like the cards were a good compromise for that, where you just kind of hear these readings and you, they're just correct and that's fine. But not goats. Goats? <laughs> no goats in my films. Uh, that was a strange creative choice to have a goat on the train at the end. Yeah, bar and stuff. <laughs> but that was it. That was Live and Let Die. Or who went first last time? I think it was me. Are you sure? I thought it was me. Oh, okay. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah. I ranked it first, didn't I? Because I was straight away like last for the last film. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. Okay. Off you go. So I think for me, as I said at the beginning, I, I originally put this as my fourth worst Bond film. And I actually think I was right with that. I actually, it's probably maybe not that low going forward with this re-ranking, but it's definitely not great to me. I I think it's sometimes it's just hard to explain. Like at the end of the film, it's just how I how I feel, how I, how I felt watching that. And it doesn't really matter about the actual quality of the film per se, or it's hard to measure some things like, Diamonds Are Forever, I had a really great time and I, I finished that film in a good mood. With this one, I I didn't. I just came away feeling a bit flat and kind of discussed already that there's a lot of this film that's not memorable. Um, I think it was a little bit, although I'm a big Roger Moore fan, I think it's visible that this is his first one and he's sort of still finding his feet and finding who his Bond is. And equally, like the writers haven't figured that out yet either. It's kind of a bit of both. Um, there's very few scenes like stunt action scenes I like in it I think the crocodile one is the main one I, I like that's about it uh, like the speedboat stuff way too long too dull and the ending with Kananga was a bit of a waste and, and a bit silly uh, and yeah as we said both Bond girls really quite rubbish 
So I think for me, oh, and also I just found Bond to be quite unlikable at times in this film, like way too smarmy, um, which again, is linked to finding the feet with the character of this new new actor playing it. So for me, as a Roger Moore fan, this is actually going eighth. Oh this no. Is going, this is going at the bottom. I'm finally moving Goldfinger up. Um, because when I look at these list of films, this is one that I would really have no inclination to watch again. Um, so yeah, it's uh, at the bottom for me now. I I can totally understand that, but yeah, I kind of thought you were going that way. It's interesting to see Goldfinger climb up in your ranking. Yeah, finally, finally, yeah, someone's happy out there. Uh, so for me, uh, I didn't really know what to expect, but in my head, I kind of thought I you know knew where this would place. Like, in my head, I was like, okay, so I don't really remember this film, and I hate Diamonds Are Forever, so it's probably going underneath You Only Live Twice, which is my lowest one above Diamonds. So it's probably going seventh. But I was like, well, I don't remember this film, so maybe it's not going to go there, but I'm just going to say straight away that's exactly where it goes. Like, (laughs) uh, I, I had a better time with this one than Diamonds Are Forever, but I think I enjoyed all the other Sean Connery's and obviously the George Lazerby film you know, I enjoyed those a lot more. Uh, but for me, I was quite surprised how much I did enjoy this film. And yes, we talked about a lot of the problems and things like that. But I actually really like Roger Moore as Bond in this film, where I talked about the whole straight man kind of angle. I loved it. I thought that was so great. And I was kind of surprised at how many of these kind of city stuff that I didn't really go for with Diamonds Are Forever, I liked here. And I think it does help that this is the most reserved Bond film yet. It is really kind of toned down with some of this stuff and the pacing and things like that. So my only really major problem with the film is that boat scene and the pacing of it. This would have been so much better if they took 20 minutes out of it and they 100% could have taken stuff out of it. You know, like we've already said, the Bond girls are bad, but honestly that stuff doesn't bother me too much. Like I still enjoy James Bond being James Bond and the crocodile stuff is great and things like that. And this has a really great villain. I was really surprised. Like this, I I wouldn't call him my favorite villain, but he's definitely up there. Like I would have to consider him as my favorite villain in the series so far. Um, so for me, I guess it's not surprising that I you know rank it seventh below. You only live twice and Diamonds Are Forever, but I would say this is kind of higher up, or I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Although I would say it's very obvious why this is a more forgotten Bond film because it is just kind of very forgettable. If you took the voodoo stuff out, you would have a film you kind of didn't really have much to kind of go off. But still, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's definitely... I came away more positive than negative, so it probably gets separated out from the Sean Connery ones. But yeah, for me, it goes in at number seven. And overall, a thumbs up, I would say. Oh, I'm so pleased that you don't immediately dislike Roger Moore films. Oh, this is, I mean, because if you like more in this, then surely you're going to like him even more in what I would say are his better films. So this bodes well. I mean, we'll see, right? I mean, it's going to be an interesting one, but this is so, like, this was just a much more reserved film than I thought it would be. In my head, the Roger Moore ones are a lot more crazy. And I think we'll get there. Like, Hmm. I I don't think Moonraker tonally matches this in any way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sadly not. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what that line is. But for me, I think this one being a lot more calmer than Thunderball and a lot more calmer than Goldfinger and a lot more calmer than Diamonds Are Forever kind of helped me kind of just enjoy these elements. And actually, 
and probably intentionally kind of did ease me into the Roger Moore era a lot smarter than Diamonds Are Forever did. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's officially started. We're officially in the Moore era and we're going to be here for a while. Oh, yeah. Buckle in. It only gets better, right, from what you remember? Yeah, I think it does, in all honesty. Okay, do you think, and obviously this is just a prediction and stuff, but we've been doing this for like two months now, uh, do you think Live and Let Die is going to be your worst-ranked Roger Moore film? I actually think it will. Oh, okay. I think it will. Just this rewatch has cemented that for me, because also on my list was Free Eyes Only, but I think I'm going to like that more. Um, I I put that quite low, but I think I'm going to like that more than this. Hmm. So yeah, for me, I would still say a pleasant surprise. Uh, hopefully, J.W. Pepper doesn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I probably won't mind it as long as it's not so bloody long. Yeah, I think you'll be all right in that regard. Yeah. I would hope so. So, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, what did we say before we started recording? I can't wait for Roger... Oh, I messed it up. <laughs> uh, <Joe. laughs> Give me Roger Moore. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Roger Moore, yes, please. Oh, damn it. Or okay, Roger yeah, Moore, please, either or. Pretend I said that. Yeah, yeah, we'll fix that in post. That's easy. Fix that in post, please. Thank you. Cool. Okay, you have reached the end of episode eight of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with The Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs>